to have a happy marriage, to have uncompromising intimacy, it is a unique creative process to develop that that is unique for the two people involved. In other words, what self-expression looks like, yes, you and I can give people things to try, we can tell stories to inspire people, but it is fundamentally a creative process, which is why starting with curiosity is so essential. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Known as the Intimacy Doctor, Alexandra Stockwell, MD, is a relationship and intimacy coach and an intimate marriage expert who specializes in helping driven couples build beautiful, long-lasting, passionate relationships. She is the best-selling author of Uncompromising Intimacy, host of the Intimate Marriage Podcast, and creator of the Aligned and Hot Marriage Program. She has coached for over 20 years, is a wife of 27 years, and a mother of four. Dr. Alexandra believes the key to passion, fulfillment, intimacy, and success isn't compromise. It's being unwilling to compromise because when both people feel free to be themselves, the relationship becomes juicy, nourishing, and deeply satisfying. Dr. Alexandra has been featured in the Huffington Post, Rolling Stone, USA Today, Cosmopolitan, Business Insider, Thrive Global, Mind Body Green, Fox News NYC, just to name a few. She is one of the 30 inspiring women to watch from 2022, named by Disruptor Magazine. I hope y'all enjoy today's episode of That Sex Chick. So someone who calls themselves the intimacy doctor and is someone who helps marriages have uncompromising intimacy and intimate marriages is really exciting to me personally because I actually don't know how long I can say I'm a newlywed for. Like, is that one year? Is that two years or a few years? I don't know. I'm at a year and a few months past when my husband and I got married, when Jordan and I got married. And this is a subject that very early on in our relationship and certainly very on in our marriage that we are consistently revisiting. How do we make sure that our foundation is uncompromising or is unshakable, that we continue to tend to the foundation of us? That way, us in a couple years when we have maybe little people that we're wrangling and the season of life has shifted and we can still really stand firmly on the foundation that we've created, then fast forward another maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years. How do we make sure that we have and we maintain uncompromising intimacy? How do we make sure that we still really love each other, love the lives that we are building and creating and have awesome sex? So I can't think of a better person to have this conversation out loud with other than Jordan. I mean, he seems to think he's got it all figured out sometimes. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he does. (laughs) Maybe, maybe his playful essence is what it's going to take, you know, throughout our relationship. But outside of Jordan, Dr. Stogwell, thank you for coming onto the show. I'm excited to have this combo, of course, for myself and certainly for all of our listeners. Well, it is wonderful to be here, and I adore that intro. It actually reflects something so wonderful about your style and who you are that it's like, yeah, you're a newlywed and you are not delusional. You know, you you have that resonance and understanding of what's ahead, and I'm pretty happy if the best person for everyone or anyone to talk to about this is the partner that they're going to be sharing the experiences with. It's actually pretty important for that person to be the number one person to discuss it with. And I'm so glad to dive in together this morning. Mm. Well, thank you for that. And I like the uncompromising, compromising language there because it kind of reminds me of, you know, when dating or it's like, don't settle. But like, what does that mean? You know, what are my boundaries and my desires and what are my deal makers and deal breakers? And that must mean that I have to have a grasp or have a grip on what those things actually mean for me. And so when I think about a marriage and I think about going into, you know, that deeper commitment kind of relationship when it comes to compromising and, and being 
in a place where you're not compromising, it seems like most people have this idea that if you choose the right person, then you're just going to be compromising with that person, you know, but at least you like them for into perpetuity. Yeah. You know, for me, you've just said so much. You have very sweetly summarized the whole problem. And so there are like at least two different parts of that that I want to unpack. One, which anyone in personal growth is familiar with, the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. So I don't actually recall seeing that come up in any of the episodes I listened to, but let me just summarize that with a fixed mindset, you believe people are the way they are. Like you marry the right person and then that's who you have. You have, quote, the right person or you don't marry the right person. You know, this, your spouse has these characteristics and you're just stuck with them. That's just people are the way they are. That's a fixed mindset. And then there's the growth mindset, which is understanding that people can grow and change. Yes, for the other than the way we're shaped by tragedy and trauma and other involuntary experiences, the main way to grow and embody a growth mindset is really to be intentional and bring attention to our growth and evolution in order to become more of who we are, to become a better person, more available to both give and receive love or whatever the case may be. And I think many people in our society in North America and beyond, we have more of a growth mindset just naturally when it comes to career or finances. We just, even if we don't know exactly how it's going to happen, we expect to have more income in our 40s and 50s than we do in our 20s. Now, that's not the best example of a growth mindset, but it is an example of it. We expect our home to be bigger and nicer as we grow. Like there are just so we expect to be a better cook in our 50s and in our 20s, unless, you know, well, just in all circumstances, no matter how good a cook you are, you expect to be gooder and better. That's funny that I said <laughs> that. I'm very excited about this topic. That's so funny. <laughs> anyway, you expect to be better. But when it comes to relationships, more often people have a fixed mindset. It's like, well, if this isn't working or if this doesn't feel the way I want it to feel when we're touching one another, well, I just didn't marry the right person or I did marry the right person and I just don't get those experiences. So in what you said was the implication and the like, sinister, unconscious way that a fixed mindset influences people. So that's just point number one. Anything you want to say before I continue? Oh, that's great. <laughs> and I completely agree. I didn't realize I was saying all of that. <laughs> yeah, but you actually have this beautiful yeah. growth mindset in relation to the quality of your marriage yeah. into perpetuity. And I think that that is a pivot which most people don't walk down the aisle oriented to. It's something that needs to be cultivated. And one of the reasons most people don't orient to it is because there's a lack of role models. Like it's just not a reinforced notion. It's, I'm sure, one of the things that motivates you so that people hear what's possible. It's definitely one of the things that motivates me. Okay. So that's one piece. The other piece really is about compromise. You're right. The most common relationship advice that is given throughout the Western world and perhaps the whole world is that if you want a great marriage, you have to be good at compromise. I've given talks on Zoom where I said this and this woman went and pulled out her wedding cards from like 20, 30 years ago. Hallmark has put its stamp of approval on it, you know, compromise will make you happy. And the fact is that is just complete bullshit. What compromise will do is set you up for a lovely, bland companionship. And so when I'm talking about uncompromising intimacy, I'm really talking about the key to passion and erotic exchange and ongoing expansion. I myself have been married for 26 years, 27 next month. We have four children. We have a full life. And 
there's no way I'd want to go back to the sex I was having before. It is so much better now. It hasn't always gotten better and better, but it certainly has for the last 10 years or so. And that has to do with shedding compromise, but I want to define the term. So I think of compromise as the phenomenon when you hold back desires, even challenges your internal experience in who you are, you hold them back and don't express them so that your partner is more comfortable. And when I'm talking about uncompromising intimacy, sometimes people misunderstand and think, well, I just need to be uncompromising, meaning I get to have my own way. I get to become the bully instead of being passive. It is my way or the highway. And that is not what I mean when I say uncompromising in the context of relationships. Uncompromising intimacy is based on the foundation that when you share the whole truth of who you are, when there's no part of yourself that you feel like you have to amputate or leave at the front door when you come home in order to be more palatable and comfortable for your spouse, when you can bring all of who you are and learn how to do that so your partner can receive it and share of themselves, that's when the passion and fireworks follow. Uncompromising intimacy in many ways is a deep, sexy, erotic practice of knowing who you are and being willing to share it even when it's inconvenient or it means that your partner is going to need to grow to meet you there you don't demand it. You don't blame them for not being there. You share in a way that ultimately is inviting to engage with and welcome all of who you are. Because as human beings, we do not have some magic switch such that it can be off during the day as we go to the restaurant we don't really want to go to. We go on vacation to the place we don't really want to go on vacation to. We do this, we do that. We don't share when we have big feelings or small feelings. We just keep it nice and comfortable for our partner. Well, when we get to the bedroom, that switch does not exist so that we can be fully expressed and bring all of ourselves and be totally present in the moment and uncensored with desire and deliciousness pulsing through us. That is a practice that cannot just exist in the bedroom. It can for a one night stand when you don't even have to know your partner's name and things can be quite steamy and gratifying. But when you are living with someone, when you're married, you have a life together, you have to essentially use the rest of the time as foreplay to share who you are in overt and covert ways. Because as soon as you're clamping down in day-to-day -day interactions, you can be sure that that will happen right away or eventually in the bedroom too. Hey you, just in case you missed it, Jordan and I are enrolling into our signature couples program, Couples Goals, right now. Couples Goals is for couples who are committed to their life partner and are willing to show up even and especially when it's particularly challenging. Couples who sometimes experience difficulty communicating needs, wants, desires, and boundaries both in and out of the bedroom. Couples who want more from their romantic relationship, depth, intimacy, and adventure. Couples who occasionally or often feel their sex life is a little lackluster, monotonous, dull, boring, routine, infrequent, maybe a little too vanilla, or all of the above. It's for couples that at times experience something that they might call a mismatched libido, but are unsure how to really talk about it. It's for couples who are not feeling fully expressed or consistently satisfied, and they deeply desire to be. It's also for couples who have a decent or good overall sex life and relationship, but they want it to be even better. So what do you get in couples goals? Over six weeks, you get tons of play, connection, and transformation. 
one weekly live two-hour interactive video call with Jordan and I, so six total, and these are so good. Previous attendees have considered it a weekly date night where they knew that they would be challenged to go deeper with one another, leaving, turned on by each other, and what is possible in their life and in their love. It includes one private women's only session as a group and one private men's only session as a group. There's also 24-7 exclusive communication with a private telegram text thread. And you get priority access to and discounts on future sex and love co-offerings, including the Couples Goals in-person retreat in Austin, Texas. And as a bonus, you get our signature self-paced course, Sex and Love Academy. It's an incredible resource that you can refer back to over and over again to ensure that the amazing work that you put in during your time in Couples Goals continues way beyond our time together. Sessions start soon, so if you want to be seen, felt, heard, and understood in your relationship like never before, join us. Let Jordan and I hold you both as you explore uncharted territories with one another. Your life and your love will be forever transformed. For more info, check the link in the show notes. Clamping and bearing down. (laughs) Wow. That's a theme, I think, for a lot of people. It's certainly a theme for me growing up with a Catholic background. It was clamping and bearing down and keeping my mouth shut. A lot of times in doing it, I was told. And when it came to pleasure and speaking up and all that, it's clamp, it's bear it down, down, keep it quiet, keep it internal, or don't even have it at all. And if you have it, then shame it till it goes away kind of thing. It, it's, uh, it's quite bizarre. But growing up and then coming into adulthood and then going into relationships, it's all of this, I want to live a better life. I want to have a more expressed life. I want more pleasure. I want to feel better. And then this is the key to all of it, is the opposite of a lot of what I was told I was supposed to do. And of course, at a pivotal, critical age, learned that this is the way that I was supposed to do it. And then growing up with seeing, and like you were saying, the role models, I saw grandparents that they functioned decently together after having four kids and an almost 50-year marriage before my grandfather passed away. But there was no love. Like the love wasn't really lovey feeling. It was kind of like, I love you because you're still there. And so I just saw bossiness and sacrifice and compromise And that's my own, what I saw growing up, I'm sure, and throughout my life. And I'm sure so many people have seen other variations of that, that have turned them into the women that they are, the people that they are. And so if it's something that's so ingrained and it happens on the front of a Hallmark card on your wedding day and all of that. So if it's so commonly spoken about and it's playing out for so many people, how do we shift this? And then what would you suggest are the practical ways Well, I think there's one part that's more like the self-awareness around it. And then the next part is how to take action. Because I think some people, like you were saying, okay, well, I'm not going to be compromising. So I'm just going to put my foot down, kind of like a toddler or a teenager and be like, it's my way or the highway, which isn't what you are saying. So how do they find what's... definitely not. Yeah. So how do they find what's real? So the self-awareness, kind of more of the meta zoomed out perspective and cultivating that. And then practical ways to have this start playing out in their relationships. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate how you've asked that. And for me, I think of the self-awareness as meta in the way you talked about, but I also think of that as quite practical because in any given moment, the awareness that you are compromising is actually the first step. And it is practical if it's actually implemented because it's common for me to talk to incredible women in 15, 30-year marriages, and I'll say, well, what do you want? And she knows what her husband wants and needs, what the kids want and needs, the people she works with, the neighbor's dog. But when it comes to what she wants and needs, other than to have everybody taken care of, that can be a very tender complicated question, not what do you need in terms of, you know, what are you going to make for dinner? But I mean, like, how do you want to feel? How would you like to be kissed? How would you like your husband to, in a heteronormative context, you know, how would you like him to initiate sex? Because so many women are like, I don't like how he initiates. Okay, great. No problem. But how would you like it? 
in every complaint, there's always a desire. How do you discover what that desire is? So I just don't want to dismiss the practicality of the self-awareness because knowing, so if I get more granular, the first step is just noticing when you're compromising, noticing when you're acquiescing, noticing when your internal pattern is to just go with what's convenient without even giving it a second thought. So that's awareness step number one. And that is actually a very rich exploration. And it's also very confronting and challenging to do because you have awareness and nothing has changed. That can be very painful, a lot more painful than no awareness and the same scenarios playing out. So be compassionate. Know that it is the first step. There's just no way around it. And then after being aware, then start thinking about what you would do instead. And I'm somebody who is a big fan of training wheels when it comes to shifts in relationship. You don't need to go for the big complicated thing. Like if, for example, the way that you've been compromising is faking orgasm, I don't recommend that you implement what we're talking about by starting with, you know, that time in Italy, I faked every one of those. No, don't. That is not the manner in which to communicate that. And that is not the place to start. Start with the fact that you'd like Thai food but you always go to Italian because that's what he wants and you know you'll find something. So again, start with awareness. And then the second thing is to think about what would you actually say? You don't need to say anything, no pressure in acting on it, but just come up with the dialogue. This is actually a very challenging step is to think, okay, well, If you disagree with what he just said about X, Y, and Z, but you haven't stated your disagreement because you just don't want to ruffle his feathers, how would you say that in a way that leads to connection rather than disconnection? That takes some consideration without taking action yet. And it's very easy to say, well, who cares if he has that opinion? If it's not that important, that is the place to practice speaking up when it's really just a playground to practice speaking up because the issue itself isn't that important. So once you move through those things, then in terms of actually interacting with your partner differently, there are two things. One is to say what's true for you. And I'll talk about how to do that in a second. And the other power of this is so typically underestimated. So I don't mean to sound melodramatic, but one of the most literally relationship evolving pivots is to cultivate curiosity, to ask open-ended questions, to have room for new answers because you're asking a new question or you're asking an old question in a new way that gives permission for more answers. And whether or not your partner asks you, go ahead and share your answers yourself as well. There's this statistic, I don't know exactly how it was collected, but couples who've been together more than five years, typically on average, talk about something other than kids and logistics, less than four minutes a day. That is because people are not asking open-ended questions. You fall in love and that whole experience of being in love is filled with questions. Where does that scar come from? And if you weren't doing what you were doing, what would your chosen profession be? And what's the edgiest sex you've ever had? Like we have tons of questions and then you know, we get used to one another. We know one another's answers. It's very beautiful to know somebody well, but in the process, we become less curious. And so bringing back the curiosity is really incredibly lubricating. Okay. Thank you. And so in our relationship, we often say let's collaborate versus compete or collaborate versus compromise in this instance. And so 
I have an idea of the way that we've been doing it so far. And so I'm curious what your perspective is or what you would suggest for someone when it comes to them maybe speaking up for themselves. And maybe they, they do it in a playground kind of way where the walls and the ceiling and the floor are padded and they choose a softer topic or something that feels a little bit less vulnerable than maybe something sexual or like a big life thing. And how do the two people stop compromising? What does it look like when both parties feel very authentic, feel like they showed up with how they, you know, and you mentioned stating what's true for them and then getting to, you know, if they have to make a decision, what's the right decision for them if there is a right decision? Okay. Well, I love what you've said in terms of collaborate, don't compete, collaborate, don't compromise. They are certainly equivalent. And I'm guessing you've had this experience yourself that when both of you share what you actually want and it's heard with interest without it being threatening that the spouse has a different view, a different background, a different personality. When that's not threatening and you both share what you want, it's possible for new solutions to present themselves. Like it's much more creative and things. I'll just give a very benign example that Let's just say there is a couple and he loves Italian food. He doesn't like Thai food. And for years, they always go to Italian. The kids like Italian more. And she loves Thai food, but she doesn't even think about it. They don't even talk about where they're going to go out to eat because they do Italian because it works for everybody. For such a woman to just say, you know, I'm happy to go out to Italian again tonight, but I just want you to know it's not my favorite and I've been craving Thai. And even if all that happens is they go to that Italian restaurant again, it will feel completely different for her to have actually stated what she wants without resentment, without accusation, just bringing it to the marriage, not leaving that, not shutting down about that. However, the much more likely scenario is coming up with new solutions. Maybe once a month they go for time. Maybe the rest of the family has frozen pizza at home and then they go to the Thai restaurant. So they've already eaten. And so, you know, they can just find something small that they like and she can have what she wants. Maybe you get takeout and eat in a park and everybody has whatever they want. Like there actually are so many solutions and resolutions and inspirational ways forward that just are not available if everybody doesn't have all of the information. And how sweet would it sound if her partner said, let's get mom tie, let's get mom her tie. Totally. You know? Yeah. And it, it's not met with resistance. So it's definitely something that both parties have to be active participants in and kind of orient their relationship around. And I can just imagine that it, it could be very difficult, especially in a partnership where let's just keep with the heteronormative dynamic here, where she's consistently compromised what she wants and what her desires are. And this dynamic, and we can shift this in a minute and kind of flip it around. And she's just kind of consistently rolling over in some way, letting other people make the decisions, letting other people's bigger emotions dictate what the decisions are and where they're going to go eat and what they're going to go do. And so she kind of stifles her expression and what her desire is. And maybe even over time, she completely loses touch with what those things even are. She's so quick to let it go or stuff it down. So of course, it makes sense to me that that lack of expression, like you were saying before, whenever I have this conversation with people and they're talking about their intimacy and what they would like to experience in it. And I go, well, let's talk about all the things that you're bringing into the room with you that you've stuffed down that are inside. And it's like, we have to talk about those things before we can talk about how to have earth shattering orgasms and this like crazy dynamic that you've never experienced before. We're holding on to, you've never gotten to eat the food that you want to eat for the whole, however many long, long years that you've been in this relationship or whatever. And I'm just going to keep using your example. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. But it's mm -hmm. like, that's the thing that's also coming into the bedroom as well. And so it's so much more than what kind of food would you like to go in speaking up for yourself? It's cultivating a kind of relationship that that's safe to bring into it. And so 
maybe some tips or insights for someone who's with a partner that has basically gotten so used to their partner rolling over, doing that thing that they almost, whether it's conscious or unconscious, feel like they're entitled to the way that they want to do it or the way that she's always been. They perceive her to have always been like, why are you changing now? Maybe some insights for her and insights on how to kind of crack open the relationship to where they can both opt in to orienting their relationship in this way. Sex and Love Co. is officially back in bed with Yoni Pleasure Palace. We really are a match made in heaven. YPP continuously amazes me. Once a company known for their Yoni eggs and crystal pleasure wands, they have grown into a truly remarkable brand with many services and additional products like glass, steel, and wood pleasure tools for those of you who like a more natural element in your toy collection, as well as waterproof sex blankets. You know, that's one of my faves. Yoni steam herbs and stools, strap-on harnesses, specialty vibrators, anal toys and prostate massagers, water and oil-based lubricants, breast massage oil, menstrual products, and so much more. If you can believe, I have quite a collection of things that fall under the category of adult products. By far, the most impressive part of my collection are the items I have by Yoni Pleasure Palace. Every purchase I make or gift that I give from YPP has an element of sacredness to it, and that truly takes them above and beyond any other brand I've tried or that I've worked with. I've got great news, my love. With our recent recommitment and partnership, Yoni Pleasure Palace has increased my code, that sex chick, from taking 10% off of your order to 15% off your entire YPP purchase. Hell yes. So head to the link in the show notes to add Yoni Pleasure Palace to your collection. And don't forget to use the promo code ThatSexChick at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Yeah, so I, again, love how you frame that. And that is one way forward. But I want to say it is not required that both people Great. shift into not being compromising. There is, I mean, that's the best. That's ideal. That is something to aim for, but it wouldn't be typical. It's certainly possible. It's how your relationship is created. And when you create the relationship that way, then sustaining it is much more accessible. But if someone is in a relationship and you want to stay with that person and it hasn't been so growth-oriented from the outset, there's a lot that you can do without your partner shifting into becoming uncompromising in this way. And I also want to just make a plug and say that most of the time it is both people who are compromising, even when in your scenario, the woman feels like she's the one who's always compromising. It's most likely that he feels that way too. And she just feels like he always gets his own way. Why does he feel that way? Like it's usually more democratically distributed the feeling, even if it doesn't look that way. Mm -hmm. However, in that scenario, I think one of the most important things is to start gently and ideally be able to at least say to your spouse, I'm working on expressing myself better. It can be that simple because what we're really talking about is having interactions create more connection rather than less connection. And so even if compromise and being fully self-expressed is kind of intimidating language for a spouse, either because they're meek or because they're overbearing or anything in between, to just talk about creating more connection when we talk with one another is a better way to frame it. And I'm just going to give an example. Years ago, when I was really delving into and working this out for myself and doing so in my own marriage, I let my husband know that I was going to be speaking up some things that I thought that I'd never really said before. And to just know that was the phase that I was in. I was doing my own research. And I remember sitting on the couch with my husband and I was telling a story about my day or something that was going on for me. And I paused and he got up and left the room. And it took a lot of courage. And I'm sure I sounded like a little girl, very gentle voice. And I just said, did you get up because you find me boring? 
because that's what I was thinking inside myself. Like that was the voice that would lead to further compromise that don't tell stories about my day because it's not that interesting or keep it shorter or in some way compromise and adjust my self-expression so that it was more interesting for him because my first thought in that moment was that I was boring and so that's why he got up. And he just looked at me and smiled and he didn't laugh at me, but he did laugh and he said, no, I just need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to be right back. But that is a moment where if I hadn't spoken up, I wouldn't have known. I would have interpreted that whole interaction according to the limiting beliefs and orientation I had, concluded I was too much and dialed down how much of myself I share in my marriage. And that really wasn't asking him to be uncompromising in any way other than counting on him to answer the question with honesty and kindness, but meaning he would have needed to be willing to say, well, he probably wouldn't have ever said I'm boring, but he might have said, my mind was starting to wander. I am interested. But that would have given me the information I needed. So that's an example where a partner doesn't need to be on the same journey and the results can definitely lead to more self-expression and less compromise, more connection within the relationship. I definitely feel that in my partnership too. As you said, the did you get up because you found me boring? But it still deduces down to the too, the too much idea. Yes, yes, right. Yeah, and for me, it's because I'm so emotional. I get emotional very easily. And I have this story that I'm just going to one story too many, one tear too many. And he's just going to be like, I'm so fucking over this. <laughs> you know? Right, because our partner's attention is a finite resource and we yeah. need to ration it rather than max it out in something and then there won't it won't be left later. Right, right. No, that is not true. And he assures me constantly and he reminds me when I get into those moments, but at least I've now gotten comfortable with saying that out loud. Like, are you grabbing your phone because you're totally over my shit or whatever it is, you know, insert whatever the thing is. And he'll immediately snap into connection with me, look me in the eyes and say, I fell in love with you as tears were streaming down your face. It is one of the most beautiful things about you and I cherish it and I cherish you. And I apologize for it feeling like I am distracted or like I'm not in connection with you and I'll put my phone down and I'll say, come here, you know, but like you were saying though, we have created our relationship to be this way. And I would say this is in some way something that I wind up being somewhat challenged by with regards to connecting with our listeners or with our audience, our greater audience, because we did do this, you know, our relationship in such a counterculture kind of way. And so people do admire the relationship that we have. And I try to remind them that we're, you know, only five years in, but we're, you know, just over a year married. And so I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you that we have a lot of intention infused into our relationship because both of us have the odds stacked against us for having a love like we have now, our relationship like we have now, because both parents, both parties married multiple times, revolving doors for relationships and saw a lot of relationships that were compromised and sacrifice and were lacking intimacy and lacking love beyond, well, I love you so I'm going to stay. You know, and so we determined before we ever got together that we didn't want that, but we didn't know what it meant to not like, what was the work going to look like in order not to have that. And so the very beginning of our relationship was a lot of the reality check was a lot of the, the talk because Jordan was not in sex and relationships. Uh, he didn't have a business in sex and relationships. I did. And it was mostly sex education oriented on how to have really great sex and to here's how to have the STI talk. It was very like sex educator oriented. And now it's developed much more into relationships and beyond. But when we first got together, I said, Hey, I've done this now enough times. And I know that you have to, what I'm about to say is not because I don't think that we have something special here. I think that we do. And I want to make sure that we fully understand that at some point, our drive and our desire to be intimate with each other, to be connected in this way is going to wane. That's not because I think that we're on the path to it's going to end, but let's actually look at relationships 
that we've seen modeled. And let's look at the relationships that we've actually had in our lives. It can start off as this like steamy, crazy, passionate, whatever, and then eventually it gets to this place. And so let's just look at that for what it is from the onset. And then how do we choose to create our relationship to where we're not maybe blindsided by this thing. And then we're holding on to the resentments and wishing we could have a thing that we had before, but we don't have anymore. And it's gone forever and all those, because we both came into this relationship thinking and believing and knowing deep down that it can only get better. It's only going to get better. And the times when we have like, I would say a peak experience, I go, this is just the beginning. Every time this is just the beginning. And I say it to him, this is still the beginning, you know, like there's still so much more. So I'm grateful in a lot of ways that we have that kind of relationship, but the vast majority I would say of people that we interact with didn't start that way. And however many years in, and they'd like to cultivate that, but it's almost like they have to kind of sift through all of the patterns and the stories and the things that they have gone through in order to build the relationship that they have now. So any advice for those people on how they can maybe because a lot of people that do listen to this show have at least some level of the growth oriented mindset. And a lot of the couples that we work with too, both parties want to grow, but a lot of times they're like, well, I don't know what to do. And usually it's led by the female in a heteronormative kind of relationship. So, you know, ways that they can maybe meet in the middle and say, we're going to both attempt this. If both parties are involved and are a yes, at least on some level. Okay. Well, I'm going to assume that you're happy for us to embody the things that we're talking about, even though this conversation is as far as our relationship has gone. And I'm going to speak up and disagree with a number of the things that you just said, that I actually started my relationship in the same context. My husband and I are both children of divorce. And when I got married, I both was in love with him and was sure we would get divorced, not because of anything happening in present time, but just because it took a lot of courage to be able to anticipate and imagine and connect with any other possibility. So our stories are similar in that way. But almost 27 years in, I have a few ideas that are different from the ones that you've said. So first of all, and I'm specifically modeling how I can do that. I didn't dismiss a single thing you said. I'm just placing beside yours with total respect that I have a different understanding and approach. And you don't need to agree. And we can have this incredible conversation, understanding where you're coming from, understanding where I'm coming from, knowing that most likely you'll shift some of your viewpoints and I'll shift some of mine. So in a meta way, practice how to do this practically, that this is something that can be a skill set that can be expanded and implemented in any context. It's not just for the person you're having sex with and so forth. Okay. So first of all, I really love working with couples who've been together a long time and have their patterns well established because those patterns whatever ways in which they don't have a growth orientation, not in their minds, but in how they interact with one another, that is so helpful. That is so revealing. That is what allows me and them to know what needs attention and what is a new experience that they can create. They will get immediate feedback and how it feels. For example, if I'm coaching a couple and I hear her say, yeah, but you never want to do that. Okay. That's a familiar pattern in many relationships, right? And to coach her on how she can say those same words with a completely different tone that is less judgmental, more honest, more revealing of her experience, that requires her to be uncompromising and more vulnerable. And right in that moment, have the positive feedback of creating a new outcome. There's a way in which shifting patterns is actually more available when the patterns are familiar to both people. I'm not a fan of like creating bad patterns, but if you have them, then it's like, you know what the rules are for the next improvisation. It's not creating from scratch, which is actually, it's 
working with a blank canvas is just a different experience. Okay, so that's one thing. One of the biggest pitfalls with a growth-oriented couple who doesn't know how to move forward in the ways we're talking about is that typically they have the idea that they need to meet in the middle, that things are 50-50, that you want a democratic relationship in which you both are taking 50% of the responsibility, but that actually is not helpful. What is helpful is for each person, but let's just start with one, to take 100% responsibility for the quality of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so when both people take 100% of the responsibility, then miracles happen. But a lot of miracles happen when just one person does as well. So of course, enrolling in one of your programs or enrolling one of my programs is a great next step because just encountering new material and deciding how you want to integrate it will open up that conversation. But I also want to say one more thing, which is that where I went to medical school, the bookstore was for a lot of other programs too, nursing and psychology, PhD programs and so forth. And I remember being in the bookstore and pulling a book off the shelf, which opened with a quote from Anna Karenina, which starts by saying all happy families are happy in the same way and all unhappy families are uniquely unhappy with whatever traumas and difficulties they have. And this psychologist said, no, it's exactly the opposite, that unhappy families or for our conversation, uncompromising marriages, they all follow patterns. But to have a happy marriage, to have an uncompromising intimacy, it is a unique creative process to develop that that is unique for the two people involved. In other words, what self-expression looks like, yes, you and I can give people things to try, we can tell stories to inspire people, but it is fundamentally a creative process, which is why starting with curiosity is so essential. So I know you're looking for something like, okay, really practical. How does somebody start? And I would say a place to start is every time you either shut down or you complain to look for what the desire is and how whatever you're experiencing can be used as an invitation for more connection. Great. I saw, I mean, I don't know if there was that much disagreeing there. I agreed with everything you said. Okay. <laughs> I also am very upfront about we're five years in and there's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't know. And fuck yeah. How awesome. You know? So I want to shift and maybe kind of round out the show with speaking specifically to sexual intimacy. Mm-hmm. And because that's something that you mentioned just in telling a little bit of your story that you have been married almost 27 years now and the last decade has been some of the best sexual intimacy. And so I imagine that there's a lot of people that listen to the show that are like, you know, you said that and then we're like, Alexa, ask her how, <laughs> you know, or ask her okay. what that looked like. I learned so much from one of the couples that I first coached when I started coaching a long time ago. They were a couple that reached out to work with me. They loved one another, committed to being together. They had, I think, a child in middle school and a child in high school and hadn't had sex in nine months. So I, starting out, was just clear that it was important to rebuild rapport. Like, I needed to build rapport between me and them, but they needed to build rapport between one another in order to start talking about sex or anything confronting and complicated. And so started with curiosity, being more expressed in different ways. And maybe three, four sessions in, I said, okay, now let's transition, let's pivot. It made sense to be more indirect and not so explicit in that conversation. But, you know, I was basically thinking, okay, let's talk about sex now. But I was saying it in this, you know, let's talk about other things. And they didn't know what I was talking about. And then finally... Her eyes got big and she just started laughing and like flirtatiously looking at him. And she's like, we're all set. And I said, oh, because in developing and deepening emotional intimacy, 
in learning to be self-expressed and feel heard and seen, in deepening the communication connection and, as I said, emotional intimacy for my clients who've been together for a while, whatever a while turns out to be, you know, at least married two years, let's just say, about 80% of the time when there's emotional intimacy, it paves the way for sexual intimacy. And I end up not spending a lot of time talking that explicitly about sex when the emotional intimacy, the self-expression, the feeling seen, the feeling accepted, the safety to be vulnerable is present. And it's really only in about 20, 25% of the time that I then focus with people on sexual intimacy. I, of course, have the skill sets, but very often it's not actually necessary. So that really is a true, I don't mean to avoid the question. It is my true and honest answer. No, that's, I'm fully with you. I'm fully with you. Yeah. And I think that's what I said when people come to me and they're like, I really want better sex and I want better intimacy or physical intimacy in that regard. And I go, great. And before we ever talk about any of those things that you think that you want to talk to me about, we're going to talk about all these other things that are from the surface, less sexy, you know? And so it definitely rings true in my experience personally, in my experience with working with some of our community members. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. And you're welcome. And like, I would just summarize it super quickly is make a point of having more fun together outside the bedroom and make a point of allowing what's happening in the bedroom be something you talk about with one another. Those two things are like the magic seasonings. Mm, So yummy. Magic seasonings. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that you'd like to sprinkle on to this gourmet dish (laughs) before we round out our show today? Yeah. To just say that I think having a fantastic relationship in all of its elements, including the most delicious orgasmic sex, It's a learnable skill. And if you're not experiencing that, then what you need is more effective education. Which is something you can get. Like you're saying, learnable skill, you can actively pursue it. Yeah. Yeah. And so if people would like to connect with you further and maybe get that learnable skill via Dr. Alexandra, what does that look like? Do they find you on your website or on social media? Come find me at alexandrastockwell.com. And from there, you can find all the information, including my podcast, the Intimate Marriage Podcast. But go to alexandrastockwell.com. And I would love to continue the conversation. So good. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your expertise with all of our listeners. Thank you, Alexa. I love what you do here. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.